Welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I am an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group, and I publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. My colleague and friend, as always, is Bruce Aldridge. And today we have on Donald Farr, who uh, is a longtime journalist, has written a number of books, and he has a specialty area with his new book. We were showing it on our uh, video part of our podcast today, and it's called Boss Mustangs 50 Years. Uh, welcome to our podcast. Uh, Donald, how are you today? Oh, doing very good down here in sunny, warm Florida. Ah, fantastic. I've only been to Florida once uh, in the Clearwater area. And I remembered it was a beautiful time, and we went on a, a long bike ride along the Pinellas Trail. I guess it was like a rails-to-trails mm-hmm. con- uh, trans- transformation. It was beautiful in the heart of the city. It was great. Yeah, Clearwater's a beautiful area. We're about 45 minutes from there. Gotcha. Well, uh, Donald, could you just give us a, a brief overview of the reason for your newest book? You've written several, but uh, give us a good overview of, of why this book uh, now. Well, I'll give you a little history of the book. It's, Please. It's kind of turned into a long, twisted history. Uh, back in 1982, um, I, well, further back than that, I had a Boss 3. I bought a Boss 302 in 1974. bought it as a used car for $1,600. Well, fantastic, and, uh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, through that, I got involved in, in some of the club stuff, the Shelby American Automobile Club, the Mustang Club of America, and and all that, and, and photography as a hobby kind of combined, and I started writing for the clubs, and one thing led to another, and I was a journalist. But uh, one thing I was always intrigued by with, with my Boss 302 was the history of it. wasn't a lot written other than what you could dig up out of old hot rod magazines, motor trend, road tests, those sort of things. So I didn't know a lot of whys and wherefores of, of the car. So I, I started digging. I was able to, uh, a lot of the guys who were involved in the, the creation of the car were were still alive then. I got to, to meet and chat with Larry Shinoda, who was the, the designer who he did the stripes. Found a couple of engine guys, found uh, the Mustang chief uh, engineer at the time. So I, I was able to to really dig into the history, and then that resulted in a, in a book called, called Mustang Boss 302 that was published in 1983 for a Dobbs Publishing Group where I was working at Mustang Monthly at the time. So that book ran, kind of ran its course and, and went out of print, and then when Ford came out with the 2012 Boss 302, they wanted to, to a launch book to go with it. And so instead of rewriting the, the history of the car. They knew about my old book, and they came to me to ask me if I would be interested in, in redoing the book, revising the book, and adding the new Boss 302 to it. So that way, they kind of gave you know, the history and the legacy of the Boss 302 from 69-70, and, and the reason for it returning in, in 2012, uh, along with speaking to a lot of the engineers to, to talk about how they created the new car. So that was the, the second edition of the book. And then when the, the 13 Boss 302 came out with a, with a little different look and new stripes, they had me add that to the book. So there was the third revision. And Motor Books asked me last year to revise the book, add the Boss 429 to it as a 50th anniversary book. And, and that's the book we're talking about today. So there's been four versions of the book. 
Great. Now, uh, Donald, can you tell us the name? Now, that uh, that chief, that engineer, that designer was Shinoda. He came up with the name, I believe. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he was a very had a very strong personality, as people who got to know him will know. But uh, he was brought in from, from General Motors by Bunky Knudsen, who had been hired as Ford president. So Bunky gave him a, a, a lot of free reign, and he was a very talented designer. The, the, the stripes, the blackout graphics, the rear window slats, the, the rear spoiler, the front spoiler, all of that was, was Larry Shinoda's design. And so they were talking about a name for this new car that, that, that they wanted, that, that they needed to to homologate the engine and other parts for Trans Am racing, and also to, to give Mustang something to compete against the Camaro Z28, so they were killing two birds with one stone. And they were, I, I understand that one of the names on the list was Trans Am, and, and of course they found out that Pontiac had already copyrighted that for a Firebird, and they were talking about SR2, which stood for Sedan, Sedan Racing uh, Group 2. And, and Larry just he just came out and say I thought that was just a stupid name. So his nickname for Bunky Newton was Boss because it was his boss. And and he also knew that on the streets the kids used the word Boss for something that was cool and neat. So he put all that together and started lobbying for to call the car the, the Boss, the Boss 302, and um, because the cubic inches obviously and um he um he won you know he, he finally he finally convinced them that that was a that was a good name and, and not only did they use it for the 302 trans am car they used it for the boss 429 that was uh that was built for uh homologate that engine for nascar yes I, I was interested in that the nascar connection and early bud moore um had a race team and uh he was racing it and tell us about the nascar angle on that well, the, it was actually kind of two racing angles on the boss, the two boss Mustangs, the 302 and the 429. The uh, the, the first is Trans Am. Ford was very big in, in, in Trans Am. It started in 66. Mustang won 66 and 67 championships. And in 68, they had come out with a new tunnel port engine that, that really didn't work out for them. So they, they were looking for something, um, a, a new engine to... Uh, to, to go Trans Am racing with, and they found it in the form of the Cleveland heads that were coming out for 1970. So they put the Cleveland heads on the, the 302 Windsor block, had to do a little adapting to make that work. And so they had a, a production-based engine that was cheaper to manufacture, easier to manufacture, and uh, also homologated that engine for, for, for Trans Am. And the, the connection to NASCAR there, I guess, comes from Bud Moore, who was... Um, uh, brought in from the Mercury effort of 68 to oversee two cars for Trans Am. Shelby American also had two cars in 69. So Bud Moore actually left NASCAR to go Trans Am racing in, in 69 and 70. On the other end of the spectrum with the Boss 429, that that engine was developed specifically for, for NASCAR racing. Uh, as you know, uh, Chrysler had the Hemi. And uh, they, they kind of mopped up in '67. Yes, they Ford did. Made a come, mm -hmm. Yeah, Ford made a comeback in '68 with the new uh, 
Fairlane and uh, or Torino's Cyclone Fastback to the aerodynamics up there. But Ford also knew that Chrysler was working on Daytona's and um, Charger 500s, first Charger 500s, and then later the, the winged um, Daytona's. Yes. Um, so they knew they had to get more power to go with their aerodynamics, and they came up with these new uh, hemispherical combustion chamber heads uh, that ended up with the, the boss name, and they put them on the 429 block, um, and they went out in 69 with the, the new Talladega and uh, won the NASCAR championship that year with uh, David Pearson. So this was all about racing back then, 68, yes, 69. Yes. The, boss, the, the boss Mustangs were, were all about racing. They were both, 302 and 429 were built specifically to legalize the engines for racing. And, and could you tell the audience that doesn't know what homologate is? Um, that is... What, uh, they don't do that anymore, is that correct? I, right, right. So the race cars today don't really have much to right. do with production cars. But, but back then, they they wanted to make sure that the cars and the engines and, and, and that sort of thing were, um, were actual, actually from production cars. So in the case of the, the 69 Bosch 302, um, Ford had to build 1,500 um, Bosch 302 vehicles. And in the case of the, uh, the Bosch 429, they had to build 500 for NASCAR. So, um, that's it in a nutshell. They just had to make these cars available, these engines available to the general public. Got it. Which gave us some really great muscle cars. Oh, yeah. Donald, uh, I have to profess a little ignorance here, and, and uh, I didn't really do my homework as well as I should have. I haven't read the whole book, but but, but perusing it, does the Boss Mustang have a, a history in, in cinema? A lot of other cars do, and I wondered if this if this uh, particular car has appeared uh, in movies or does it have some celebrity other than the fact that it's, you know, a very unique car on its own, right? No, not really. I do remember there was like some B movie way back. That <laughs> B had movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, had a, that had a Bosch, I don't remember the name, but there, there was a, a Bosch 302 in it, which I think later we found out it was a, it was a plain Mustang fastback and they just put the stripes on it. But, um, no, it doesn't really have the, the bullet type legacy uh, from from a movie. No, yeah. no Steve McQueen driving. Huh? No Steve McQueen's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, just just Parnelli Jones. <laughs> <laughs> with exactly. with all of your knowledge and and your uh, love affair, if you will, of of, of Mustang, uh, and particularly this one, you said you earlier you bought a new one. Um, a lot of people have. Um, you know, a, a, an uncle or a cousin or a brother or a father who got them into cars. So if you wouldn't mind, what, what is your personal background? And, and did you have a family who was into cars uh, uh, before you were? Not really into, into cars per se. Um, grew up in a small town, uh, Union, South Carolina, down near Spartanburg. Yes. And um, um, lived out in the country. My grandparents lived across the highway. And so I was very close to my grandparents. And one day I got off the school bus in February 1966, and I looked across the highway, and there was a brand new '66 Mustang GT. Oh boy! I'm thinking, well, who's who's visiting my grandparents? So I, I walked across, and out walks the local Ford dealer, and drives off in my grandparents' 
1960 Falcon four-door. My grandfather had traded their Falcon for a brand-new Mustang, a Signal Flare Red Mustang GT. And my grandparents became celebrities in the area. They were probably in their 60s at the time, and here they were driving around in a new Mustang. Great and stuff, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I would go to town with them. I wanted to be seen in it because it was so cool to be seen in a Mustang. So that kind of gave me the, um, the, the impetus to follow Mustangs. It's sure. kind of like and, uh, the, uh, it's kind of like a, a guy in high school when the, when the, uh, a, a high school girl makes his heart skip a beat, you saw the Mustang and your heart skipped the beat. I'm, I'm sure. And, and you have, you've had a long love affair as <laughs> it sure sounds yeah, that way. And, and, it skipped the beat enough that uh, in, in early 1980s, I, I was able to learn that my grandfather's old Mustang was for sale, and, and I, I was able to buy it, and I still own it today. Oh, wow. Man, that's great. Do you, do you still drive it? Yeah, yeah, I still drive it. Um, you know, it's not every day, but you know, drive it to the gym, to the grocery store, you know, to a cruise in, that sort of thing. Oh, that's great. And, and uh, we've interviewed other people at, at car shows and have met several people who have iconic vehicles um what kind of reaction do you get uh, from it i I'll, I'll relate a story that we interviewed a, a guy um oh maybe a year or so ago who had a 1950 f1 ford f100 pickup truck and he told the story of you know young people not knowing what it was and he was an older handsome guy and he the women wanted to date him if, if he was single and older guys <laughs> uh, older guys wanted to drive it so with with your grandfather's Mustang, what kind of reactions have you gotten from it through the years? Well, you know, I guess unlike an F one hundred pickup, even the young people know what it is. They yes. know it's a Mustang, and um, uh, older people generally try to guess the year. Gotcha. I, I had it. I was going home the other last weekend, and uh, somebody pulled up beside me at a red light, and the older guy leaned out. That's a 65, isn't it? And I said, no, it's a 66, but you're close. <laughs> you're close. That's good. <laughs> because you can't you can't really tell unless you see the grill. Gotcha. Okay. Bruce? That's interesting. Um, I wonder, do you know, you're, you're probably the guru of all models. Do you know what the, the highest selling year was of Mustangs, all Mustangs? 65. That's, that's what my, uh, <laughs> my answer was. How that's- about, here's another one. Uh, the most, the least powerful Mustang. Uh, that would have been in '81. Um, it had a they, they downsized the 302 to 255 cubic inches and used some kind of variable Ventura carburetor. I think it was only like 135 horsepower. That's probably uh, a, probably an excellent guess, and maybe that's the right answer. But the the answer, well, there was a four four cylinder. Well, that's I was gonna I was gonna tell you a 1975 Mustang two. 87, yeah. 87 horsepower. Wow. I didn't, I didn't yeah, know. yeah. And, and the, yeah, la- yeah, was... the largest motored Mustang, you know that one. Well, that would be the Bosch 429. There you go. That's you, well, wrote, you wrote yeah, the book yeah. on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, you know, yeah they, they, put a, they put a regular, uh, not a regular, but they put a Cobra Jet 429 in, uh, in 71. So it was the same cubic inches. But the Bosch 429 with those Hemi heads, uh, it, it was you know literally the largest because um ford had to send the the cars out to a contracted performance shop called car, car craft to to fit the engines in there 
Yes. They went to a lot of a lot of trouble to, to build uh, I, those cars. Yeah. Could you explain a little bit? The, the actually that motor does not fit in a Mustang, and they had to re-engineer the front end and suspension, right? Cut it out and redo yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's correct. When they, when they were they were kind of creating these two cars at the same time, and and uh, Carcraft, which did a lot of prototype specialty work for Ford, was the one who determined that with help from Ford, that the Boss 302 could be built on the regular assembly line, so that's no problem. But the assembly line could not do what was needed to put the big Boss 429 engine in there. So Carcraft did a lot of the engineering. Uh, contrary to um, uh, a lot of popular opinion or even articles that have been written, maybe even some by me in the past, um, people think that Carcraft actually cut the fenders out and put the new wider fenders in, inner fenders, and, but that's not true. Carcraft designed the inner sheet metal and shock towers and uh, supplied them to the Dearborn assembly plant, and they actually welded them in instead of the regular pieces. And then the cars arrived at Carcraft at first with 428 Super Cobra engines, and Carcraft pulled them out and, and put in the, uh, the Boss 429. In fact, as, as I point out in the book, and was was confirmed to me by my good friend Ed Meyer, who is the ultimate expert in Boss 429s. It was over 800 unique pieces went into making the Boss 429 from a regular Mustang. The Weekly Driver podcast gets support from americantrucks.com. Visit www.americantrucks.com. Yes, didn't they uh, admit that they lost money on each one of these? Yeah, they did. They did. I don't know the details on that, but yeah it was uh, it was an expensive proposition from the you know starting out with a 428 super cobra jet car with all the heavy duty and nine inch rear end and all that all the good stuff and then having to send it out and yeah pretty much have it partially taken apart and, and the engine put in and all the other they had to redo the front suspension they put on a rear sway bar it was the first mustang with a rear sway bar by the way and the first Mustang to use the uh, the 15-inch Goodyear polyglass tires. Yeah, which are just had, ri- ridiculous compared, <laughs> like little nothings compared to what they have nowadays. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah, uh, Donald uh, Bruce is the knowledgeable guy in our in our podcast partnership in terms of vehicles and engines and so on and so forth. And my background is more the journalism background, so I'm always curious when we talk to an author about the process of of writing a book there's just so much information to gather and and to put the puzzle together it's unlike writing a, a story where you know you have a thousand words or 800 words whatever it might be and it goes pretty quickly but when with a book what, what's the process for you um in the books you've written through the years do you put three by five cards on a, on a bulletin board or do you have a, a special process you use for for creating the oh i guess well the first thing i do just for my my mind, I have to, I have to create the chapters. Yes, I have to divvy it up into chapters, and and generally, the, the book publisher wants that. In this case, Motor Books, they want that kind of ahead of time anyway to kind of get an idea of what this book is going to be like. So one, one, then I then I tackle each chapter one at a time for the most part, and uh, it, it's just the research I, I have amassed quite a bit of research material in my home office, Um, old magazines, books, literature, factory literature, 
which is which is very helpful. Um, today, you can go on websites and, and research stuff. There's actually a really really neat website out there that that has all types of new car sales brochures. Yes. So you, you kind of if you want to know what what came on a Mach One, it, it'll that brochure will pretty much tell you. So that sort of thing, and, and then you just you start writing, and, and then the hardest part for me is always, what do I have to leave out? Yes. <laughs> Ain't that <laughs> the truth? Ain't that the truth? Especially, yes. Especially photos, you find so many neat photos, and, and you know, you just don't have just don't have room, and so you weed them out, but you still send too many, and then they weed them out, and but in the end, you know, nobody knows that you had the picture, so nobody misses it. That was kind of my follow-up with with all the great images that are in the book, and I think you you make a reference to the cooperation you had from different people to get certain models and certain images, and and that takes quite a bit of coordination. Uh, I, I'm assuming yeah, and, that does. Yeah, and especially Ford in this case, because the book was was far forward. Yes. Uh, uh, and one of the books uh, came in a little gift package for everybody who bought a new 2012-2013 Boss 302. That was one of the things they wanted to, to do with the book. Yes. And uh, um, Ford pretty much gave me carte blanche to, to search for photos. I, I went up to Dearborn and went to their new uh, photo media area, uh, which they've digitized a lot of the images now. And um, I was able to dig 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 through to find some new stuff for the 6970s and and had full access to photos from the 12 and 13. So I can't thank Ford enough for, for that opportunity. Sure, sure. You've got quite a collection of uh, period uh, photographs um, of the racing history. You have a whole chapter on racing, as a matter of fact, in your book, right? Yeah, one, uh, yeah, chapter on 69 and a chapter on 70. 70 was the year that the, the Boss 302 won the Trans Am Championship. Uh, taking this again, a little, go ahead. I'm sorry. And again, that was that was Ford. Um, I had I had been to Photo Media back in the early '80s, uh, digging around uh, for Mustang Monthly, and had found some of it. But um, <laughs> interestingly enough, the racing photos were lost at the time. The whole file cabinet was missing. They said. Oh boy. Uh, so and, and subsequently, they found it. And they digitized a lot of it, and I was able to add those those images to the book. This has taken the interview in a little bit of a tangent here, but as you know probably better than I do, that Ford's emphasis now away from uh, cars, except for the Mustang, and, and going into, obviously they have a very popular trucks and SUVs. Do you have an opinion about um, Ford stepping away from offering some of its other sedans, I think, maybe from what, 2019 or 2020 on, it's going to be the Mustang and maybe the Escort or some, another, one other sedan, or one yeah, other, yeah, other non-truck is what I meant to say. And what, what are your thoughts on that area of, of Ford, if, if you have a, a, an opinion? Well, I, I'm glad Mustang made the cut. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and, and another thing I like that, that came out of all this is, is Mustang is now Ford's vehicle in NASCAR. Yes. Which I... I, you know, now we've got a, a rear-wheel drive, front-engine, two-door car in NASCAR, uh, like it should be. Um, as, as for the other, I guess I, I, I don't. I guess I don't understand so much because I don't know so much about 
the, the inner workings of the auto business. But I, I can look, I can look out on the street today and tell that the SUVs are the hot thing. Sure. Um, you know, yeah. uh, so I, I'm, I'm guessing that Ford made the decision based on dropping sales for the sedans. Um, I don't, you know. I guess I'm gonna have to rent an SUV when I go out of town. There you go. These days. Well, <laughs> uh, not not to mention. Well, since you obviously have a uh, an appreciation for Ford in your carport, in your driveway, in your wherever else, do you have a another another company's vehicles? Do you have a collection of vehicles? No, I've just got the the 166, and uh, I have a um, my wife and I travel to a lot of the Mustang Club of America shows. That's my, my job. My main job now is I'm the editor of the Mustang Club of America's magazine, Mustang Times. And yes. so we go to all their national shows, which are generally four or five around the country. And whenever they're within reach, we, we decide, well, let's let's drive. Let's make a little mini vacation out of it. Sure. So we bought a, a 17 EcoBoost uh, Mustang, you know, partially for the gas mileage, but it's pretty peppy. And uh, no, that's my everyday car. So That's great. Have you been back to the? I, I believe it's open. Uh, maybe it's not open yet. The uh, the Mustang uh, museum. It it opened last uh, a week ago today. Actually. Oh, okay. It opened on the Mustang's 55th anniversary uh, last Wednesday. Uh, I was there. Um, it was a, was a great event. Uh, they also tied it into an event at the Speedway. They, they, I'm sure they had over a thousand cars attend the event. But uh, the, the museum, they, I'm only give, giving them a little bit of a benefit of a doubt. They, they only had ten days to prepare it after the building was completed. So yes. they had uh, they had some, some some cool cars in there, and, including the one of the Mustang convertibles that was on the Magic Skyway at the New York World's Fair in '64. So. Uh, that's one good history, that yes. That's, yeah. That's funny. I was, in 1964, I was at the New York World's Fair, and I, I remember seeing that car there. Oh, man. Wow, so that's a <laughs> yeah, small I, world. Yeah, I was at the World's Fair in 1964. My, my parents took me up there, and uh, I remember riding, and it's strange to say today, looking back, but I remember riding on the Magic Skyway, but I don't remember the Mustangs. So <laughs> I don't remember what we rode in. I remember the futuristic car, right? so yes. I, I'm sure it had to be the Mustang. Okay. Yeah, I remember the, the futuristic display that was right, yeah. the, 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 uh, the walkway to the, to the ride. Donald, since you know so much um, and we're about to come to the end of our, our time, give us something that, that is just so unique about a Mustang or some, some great uh, side story that you might know of a a friend or something that happened to you in a Mustang or, or just something that would be a, a, a good closing point to um, your, your vast knowledge and love affairs of, of, of Mustangs? Well, you know, one, one thing about the Mustang, well, a couple of things. Um, one, one, I appreciate that the Mustang really hasn't changed <laughs> from its original idea, Lee Iacocca's original idea uh, back in the early 60s of a, of a Sporty car, but but uh, two doors and room to hold four people and a trunk to carry golf clubs or luggage. Uh, long hood, short rear, rear deck. Um, most most of them have had the, the the wide open grill with the running horse in it and the tri bar tail lights. So 
um, Mustang has remained very true to its origins uh, for the past 55 years. And just by traveling and uh, traveling away from, let's say, the Mustang universe, and when somebody finds out what I do, uh, everybody has a Mustang story. That's great. It, yeah. It, you know, my neighbor had one, or my girlfriend in high school drove one, or, or I, I've owned a couple, and it's uh, it's kind of kind of unique in, in American history, I think, um, that, that people associate with with the car so well. In a strange way, it's kind of like if you see somebody with a, a vintage wristwatch. And you say, that boy, that's a great-looking watch. And there's always a story about their father, their grandfather, their brother. They found it in a garage sale. Yeah. There's always a great story. And so I think that that would transition into the Mustang in, in, in a roundabout way, that there's always, as you said, there's always a great story connected to, to somebody who has a Mustang or had a Mustang. That's a, I, I hadn't thought about that, but you're absolutely right. They have a great, obviously a great legacy. Yeah, and a lot of them, are, most of them, are like that. You know, I knew somebody who had a Mustang, but then, you, then within the Mustang world, we hear these stories. Today, it's barn finds. Yes. You know, it just just returned from a Mustang Club of America national show in Houston, where a guy had a a 1967 uh, Shelby GT500 that he had found in California with 10,000 miles and owned by the same family. Oh my gosh! You know. You keep thinking we're going to run out of those cars, but they keep turning up. That's right. That's right. Next next year, uh, Ford is touting a new model, the GT500, with 700 horsepower. What do you think of that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, like most Mustang people, I love it. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, um, I, I actually, they're talking over 800, but they haven't oh, really? released the number yet. Yeah. Okay. Um, going to be a, a spectacular car obviously I, I don't know what somebody does with that kind of horsepower but yes. uh, as my friend gary patterson from shelby american says you can you can never have too much horsepower that's right absolutely uh, i guess a, a good a good closing question would be with uh, the numbers of books you've written do you have on on the horizon another book that you could share with us or is it um are you taking a little break i'm, I'm kind of in a break mode right now okay um, i did I did two books year before last, one called Mustang Speed Read, and the other was a book, uh, Ford Mercury Muscle Cars, which was interesting for me to, to kind of break out of the Mustang mold and do some research into Galaxies and Talladegas and Cougars. So, um, but right now, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of relaxing a Great. little bit. <laughs> Good for you. Well, we want to thank Donald Farr for being our guest uh, today on the Weekly Driver Podcast. We're showing his book cover on the video part of our podcast, Boss Mustang, 50 Years. And Donald, that's, it's great to just soak up your knowledge today. So thanks very much for being our guest. Really it's a, appreciate the time. It's a great book. Well, thank you. Um, I, I feel weird when you keep talking about my knowledge, but I think that's just the result of my age. <laughs> okay. Thank you again, sir. And uh, we really appreciate it and enjoy the rest of the day. Appreciate it. Thank All you. right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. The Weekly Driver Podcast gets support from AmericanMuscle.com, your late model Mustang and F-150 authority, bringing you the hottest products and top-notch customer service for over a decade. No one makes it easier to modify your ride. Visit AmericanMuscle.com today 